Hello, hello everyone listening. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, this is the fourth episode of the Change Me podcast, uh, the podcast where I share the stories of change. This is the continuation of the story of the, the story of change of, of myself living in Mahama refugee camp in, in Rwanda. Uh, to begin, I would like to, to thank everyone who is following on Spotify regularly and also those who have subscribed to Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, we'll start with the, the very interesting idea with the, the UNHCR in Rwanda and the government of Rwanda introduced in Mahama refugee camp. Uh, it was in 2015. It was around, I think, in October, November or even before that. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was around October, November 2015 when they opened classes in tents, in, in small tents in Mahama refugee camp so we could learn and familiarize with English so we can be able to study in, in the Anglophone system. Because in my country, I was studying in, in French, so I had to adapt so I can be able to study in in English, uh, because I left the country when I wasn't yet done with my my high school, so I had to complete. I had actually to go back like one year, so I can be able to to adapt so quickly and continue with others in the system. But of course, living in the camp was a little bit challenging. It was actually challenging because uh, some strange behaviors. I have to to admit, I was so optimistic that I would be able to to adapt so quickly uh, to the English despite that I was studying in French back home. Um, a couple of weeks before, uh, I sat in the tent. It was really hot as hell and looked around at the behavior of young people, uh, the, the children, of course also the adults. There were adults, uh, the, the wives, the, the husbands who are not with their, their families, who are not with their wives the wives who are not with their husbands. So it was really, really challenging there to see the behaviors of the people. And as an introvert, I told myself, I'm not going to be like him. I'm not going to be like this guy. I'm not going to behave like he or she's behaving. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about that. But for the people who haven't lived in Mahama refugee camp, or who haven't lived in a refugee camp, there are usually... Uh, those unaccompanied minors or children, the husband and wives who are not with their partners. From all those groups of people, there, there was a breakout of, a break, a break out of strange uh, behaviors that people started to, to adopt. Most of the young people started to experiment with so many things, drinking, alcohol, uh, sexual behaviors. I mean, there were plenty, plenty of rape cases in the camp, those minors getting pregnant, very, very catastrophic at that time. Observing all those behaviors, I thought, this is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a problem in the long run for the country because those people who are getting pregnant, those minors who are getting pregnant, this is going to be a problem to the country 10 or 15 years from now. So there has to be something to be done uh, but when, when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, I cannot do anything as of now. Um, I'm nothing. I have no influence on the people. But at least 
I promise I'm not going to be one of them, which, which I think it's adopting my personal responsibilities not to add a burden to the already existing burden. That's what I did. And uh, I, I will most, that's, that's I think the reason why most of the, the host community perceive refugees as strange, strange people. But they actually like you, or they actually like anyone else, but in, in a very difficult um, circumstances. So on the point of the, the host community thinking or perceiving refugees as, as a problem or a challenge to the already existing established communities, I, I would say I, I have a strong uh, argument about that. I, I myself I have been a refugee. I lived in Mahama refugee camp for quite some time, five or six years, even more. But I have some good news, which is sometimes refugees uh, show some, some very different and strange behaviors, but it's because most of the people can't hold themselves can't uh, take the, the challenge that they are facing and then try to find ways to sabotage themselves and try to alleviate the, the anxiety or, or the stress and whatever they can find near them, whatever they can find close to them, that's what they use. So I have a strong argument on that. Uh, refugees being perceived as a challenge. No, actually no. I, I would say in, in 2015, uh, what happened, we, when we arrived in Mahama refugee camp, it was uh, like a forest, a place, an isolated, isolated place, and then we had to make it so we can live there. And we, we well, there was um, a challenge uh, which was uh, very hard to, to address by the time, like finding firewood to prepare food. It was a challenge. So what happened? This is what happened. It's 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 a it's a reality. We cut all the trees, all the trees available around the the camp, the place of the camp, and then outside the camp. But then the host community started to hate the refugees because we were destroying the forest and everything. But but of course, imagine having more than seventeen thousand people in one place, in one area. They have to cook on firewood. So what would you expect for sure, to be honest? That's, that's what happened. But I strongly argue that refugees are not, being, are not a problem because when we cut all the trees in Mahama refugee camp and then we realized, well, this is a challenge. We, we don't have any tree. We don't have any shadow for anything. When the sun is, is on, we can't find where we can hide. So what can we do? Just one guy, just one guy came up with an idea. He was, he was an agronomist. He came up with an idea. He wrote a proposal. He put down something and then proposed to the UNHCR and the, and the other authorities in the refugee camp. He had a project to, to plant trees. So he asked actually just support. How can you help me to mobilize the funds or the support so we can make uh, nurseries of trees, have as many as we can, and also mobilize the people to do the community work on, on Saturdays. And that's what we did. We, we planted trees all over the camp, all over the camp. Uh, the place which was like a desert, there wasn't any tree at the moment. We cut all the trees, but then we said, no, maybe we, we are the one who caused this. Let's, let's fix it. 
So we came up with the idea and then we planted trees all over the camp and uh, possibly outside the camp. Now, in Mahama refugee camp, it's, it's, it's covered by trees all over the camp. I would say we, we have been perceived as a challenge in 2015 because we cut all the trees. But then we, we, we also think we have the brain. We, we thought, okay, this is a challenge. Then uh, how can we address this? So we, we came up with an idea and then we, we planted the trees. And now um, everyone, whether you want to share staff members, the government of Rwanda personnel, and everyone who visits Mahama refugee camp is like, wow, we have never seen this. We have never seen this. And also the host community is, is amazed on the work we have done, being able to plant all the trees all over the camp. So I, I would say refugees are not a challenge, are not a problem, especially when you try to educate them, when you try to, to integrate them in the community. They have the brain, they, some of them educated, they have the power, they have uh, the abilities or different things. When they are trained, when they, they are given opportunities, they can be a solution, not actually uh, a problem. It, it was, was very hard to, to try to think, to think uh, far away from where I was living by the time, but I thought I thought about uh, it uh, a lot. I thought, what, 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 what I did not want to become. I thought, actually, was was something like this. What I don't want to become, actually, I don't want to become like this. Yeah. Back then, I, I used to listen to some of the stories of the people who had persevered, in, including the great Nelson Mandela, uh, and one thing stuck with me. It was, it was something like this, uh, something that he said is education is a powerful tool to change the world. And I translated this uh, as something, okay, your education, I mean, my education is the, the powerful weapon I can use to change me, but also change the country and the community around me and, and everyone who, who can get to interact with me. So I translated this saying for sure as Jado, education is the only thing, is the only tool that is going to change your life here and, and, and of other people around you. I think because when you are educated, you are able to think and you can help others also to think. So I decided to, to make my education the highest priority. But remember, I'm a refugee and there is no way I can afford the education. They are so I can finish my, my secondary education at least because I left when I wasn't yet done with my high school. I attended those uh, English classes I said before every day on time and participated during classes. That's when around December 2015 when Meso Shalom International came to look for students to, to help to finish the high school, but you had to have a school report showing that you were at least among the top 10 students in, in Burundi. This, this, this was an amazing, an amazing uh, information, an amazing communication to, to hear, because we were desperate. I was like, I don't know if I will be able to get 
my my what I was studying. I was doing uh, informatique. Uh, I was doing uh, computer science by the time. But I was like, yeah, yeah, those schools are very expensive. Most of the time, boarding schools. And it was really, really a challenge for me to be able to think, how can I get to those schools? But eventually, Mezo Shalom International came. Um, by the way, Mezo Shalom, it's, um, it's an international organization which was established, I think it was in 1993, in Burundi, by a Burundian uh, woman called Margarita Baranitz. Uh, you can look it up. Actually, they are, they are, they are setting up uh, a school a very, very amazing school, a very amazing school in Kigali. You can actually support them. I will definitely leave the link if you want to, to support them. They are building a school. They, are, they should be launching the school very soon, I think in September, actually, this year, 2023. So you can support them. They are building the school to, to help the refugees to get um, access to... Uh, high quality education, high school, high quality education, and I think also the primary school as well. And uh, it will be a mixture of refugees and the students from the host community. So please look it up and support them if you would like to do to support the the mission. Yeah. So um, I I really really appreciate the support of Mezo Shalom. It was the first thing for me in 2015-16. That's 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 that was the start of my story. They are actually the one who started the story. I would say they are the one who who were there before anyone else before the story started. So I'm really grateful to them. This was a moving moment for me, and it changed every course of action in my life since then. Um, how, how something interesting happened during this process, even before I get to the school? My friends, my friends. I had two friends called Calve and Robert. Uh, something which was interesting is that Calve was doing, um, I think, veterinary, and Robert was doing agronomy, and I was doing computer science, uh, informatique by the time. And then Yuan Shira and the government of Rwanda, they were building schools around the camp, uh, closer to the camp. But there is no way they would be able to build all those laboratories, bring computer and everything, the internet, so we can be able to study everything we, we had to, so we can finish. So I had a challenge. I was like, I'm afraid I'm not going to get this computer science majors so I can so I can finish it so it was a challenge for me but I said let me let me hope for the best let me hope that I will be able to make it so I always told my friends Calve and Robert uh, let's let's familiarize ourselves with with English I'm sure we will be able to get those those majors and be able to finish but they always told me you're crazy how are you going to make it you crazy you you can't make it you can't make it. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. I I I, I thank you so much for, for, for listening to the story. But I, I invite you to tune in for the next episode where I will I will definitely talk about what happened actually uh, uh, between me and my friends. The conversation. What happened after? Uh, you you heard what they were saying. They said it's not possible. I said it's possible. But what happened after that? So thank you so much. Please, I invite you to listen to our next episode where we will explore how optimism created magics for me. 
and the talk as well about Mesoshalom International a little deep. So thank you so much for, for listening. Ciao.